Thanks, Ashley. <clears throat> Known Ashley a long time. Ah, let me do this. She was a little youth in our youth group here, so she's been precious to me for many years. Um, let me just first say I love having your kids. They're very cute. They're very fun. Uh, it's a job I really love, and um, they're playing nicely downstairs. I checked before I came up. Um, now, I know a lot of you because of your kids, so I could tell you stories. One of my favorite stories was right, I guess, around a little after Halloween, the next class. One of the little boys came in, and he told me, um, my mommy painted her pregnant belly like a pumpkin. <laughs> so when she came to pick him up, I said, did you? And she said, yes, how'd you know? I said, mm, you know, I know a lot. So I know a lot about you guys. So... That's bribe bait. Anyway, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about me before I start, because it kind of has something to do with the message today. The message title is Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. So, starry-eyed. It really is starry-eyed. Um, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about me. I, <clears throat> I grew up in a single home. My dad left when I was seven. And uh, my mom reared four girls, so it was a house full of estrogen. And it was crazy. It was not your typical, uh, we had four bedrooms, four locks, forbidden to borrow clothes. It was not little women, I, I assure you. Um, I went off to LSU. It's kind of a party animal. Um, got in a lot of trouble, even in high school. Uh, went to LSU. Um, I met Frank, my husband, who introduced me to the person of Jesus Christ and the story of salvation, which I thought he was so provincial. You know, he was just so immature <laughs> about all that. But anyway, uh, as my life would turn and uh, I would really fall into a pit at that point in my life, um, I went to church with him on a Sunday. And he, it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. I grew up in a religious background, and I heard the wholesale, what was called, I think, in my denomination, sort of a wholesale gospel, that Christ died for everybody, and that, um, but I never heard it personally applied, and so I kind of had made a big mess in my life, so at 19, when I heard that message, and I, I heard that if you give your life to Christ, the one who created you, that he knows best how your life is to go. And the sooner you give it to him and let him have control of your life, he will take it and make it what he wants it to be because he loves you and he has a plan for your life. Well, I'd never heard that so individually applied. So I just at 19 said, I am making a mess of my life. I'm a drug addict. I'm a mess. So if you can take my life and make it what you want it to be, you can have it. And he really did. He turned my life around. Uh, threw the drugs away the next day, and many other signs in immediately happened to show me that he was indeed the Lord of my life at that point. Um, I married Frank, the guy who took me to church, uh, at 21, and we started coming to church here when we were 22. So um, I've been here a long time. Uh, I've had David, who's 37, Paul's 35, and Abby's 33. Um, and in the young days, we had a lovely life. We were connected to this place. That your most of your mentor moms, we all reared our kids together. Um, everything was just so lovely. And I want to say, even at this point, uh, 
when your life is lovely, and if you're at that stage right now where those kind of things are happening and life is really great, uh, beware. Because um, you can slide into ease and you can think that, oh, yeah, life's good. You know, a, a girlfriend that was, doesn't live here anymore, uh, Michelle, would say, I, I mean, I feel like Pollyanna. Everything is so nice. Um, because things can change. And, you know, the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is really, my husband and I got the privilege of going to Israel. You sit in a boat in the Sea of Galilee and it's gorgeous. And about two seconds later, a wind and, and storms come out of nowhere. It's just incredible. And life can be like that, too. And so I say in the good times, read your Bible, commune with the Lord, hang out with girls who love the Lord and are trying to do it God's way. Do that in the good times because it shores you up when things come uh, against you. So when I was 32, and that's kind of close to where a lot of y'all are probably, <coughs> Um, my kids were nine, seven, and five, and um, my mom suffered a stroke. She lived out of the country, suffered a stroke, and moved in with us on our anniversary, 11th anniversary. And that was tough because she needed therapy, and uh, it was tough, and her husband came with her. And then three years later, 1992, when I was 35 and had a 12, 10, and 8-year-old, which is where y'all are headed, my dad went to jail. Now, remember, my parents split when I was, and my dad was not the greatest guy. And so he uh, went to jail, and in jail he had a heart issue, and uh, guess who had to take him? Because I'm the only one in New Orleans. Everybody else moved. So I had to bring my dad into my house, and uh, that was really a rough time, too. Then Katrina, my dad broke his hip in 2002 and was back and ended up living with us, and then we bought the house next door. So we would take care of him uh, for eight years, um, and that was rough. And then my mom, after Katrina, she and her husband ended up, we bought the house three doors down to take care of them, and he snapped into dementia. So um, he had dementia for five years. So I had little diapers, big diapers, all kinds of stuff going on. <coughs> and then four years after that, I found a lump in my breast. So some of you know what that feels like. Um, and the doctor said it probably was growing for four years, which would have traced back to Katrina. Um, a good friend of mine gave me a little booklet that you have, and your mentor moms will give it to you at the end of class. But it's called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And, um, oh, I should say I was 52 when I was diagnosed. So uh, the book was very, very helpful. Frank and I sat down, and we looked through the book and read through it together out loud. We cried, but it really was a spiritual trajectory that took us through this time. And I still have my parents in the neighborhood. I'm still doing all that and having to also go through situations with myself. Um, I would say this too, and this comes back to what I warned you about earlier in the good times. I'm thankful for two things. One is I always have had a current relationship with the Lord. I read my Bible every day. I have a little journal, and I write down what he says to me in special time, and I go through the, read the Bible through in a year every year. And so I didn't have to, when I got diagnosed, I didn't have to say, where are you, God? Why did you let this happen to me? Because he was right here. 
And I'm so thankful for that. And it's another reason why staying good in the present is helpful. The other thing is my relationship with my husband. Uh, Frank and I work hard on having a relationship that honors God. We get up every morning and pray together, and we read a book out loud together, maybe only a page and a half, and we'll discuss it. Right now we're going through one of those small groups in the church. We couldn't join it because we're babysitting for the leader, uh, (laughs) which is my son. But there are 22 couples in that group who are going through a book called Sacred Marriage. And since we couldn't be in the group, we already read the book. But when you get to be my age, six months later, you don't remember what you read. So we're going through that book again. And so we read about a page and a half, two pages in the morning. We talk about it. We pray. And then we go about our day. I get up earlier than I have to, always have, to get to be with him before he goes off to work. But it's such a delightful thing that I don't mind getting up earlier because it's very special. Once your day goes, you know, it's just you're gone. So if you don't spend time with him before, you have to get up a little bit earlier, you never catch your day back. But anyway, because of those two things... I read this book. My thought was, okay, Lord, I gave you my life when I was 19. I told you to do whatever you want to do with it because you're going to do a better job than I could ever do. And so I'm not going to tell you now I want it back because I don't like what you gave me because God only gives good gifts to his kids. I thought, okay, here we go. And so in that pamphlet that you're going to get, there's a couple of points that I wanted to bring out from it. Number two in the booklet says, you will waste your cancer. I'm going to change the word cancer to suffering because I know a lot of you are in different places right now where this message is about suffering. But I can easily replace the word cancer with the word suffering for where some of you might be right now or may end up at some point. You waste your suffering if you don't believe it was designed by God. And that's a a tough one. Uh, But if you read your Bible, you know that the Bible's full of that, where um, in jo- in, with Joseph, everybody know the story of Joseph? He was a, um, a kid that was picked on by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, ended up in prison, uh, ended up saving Egypt and Israel um, by coming up. God gave him an idea of how to save the nations because of the famine that was coming. And at the very end, when he hangs out with his brothers again and they figure out who he is, he says, you know, you guys meant this for evil, but God has used it for good. So um, the first point in here is true, that you have, if you're good, if God's good, and I think hopefully most of us believe that he is, then if he puts something in your life, no matter how it hurts right now, it's going to be for your good. The cool thing at this point, instead of fussing about it and falling in the pit about it, right now, say, okay, what is good about this? What are you trying to show me now? Not uh, 100 years from now, which you will obviously know when you look back at it, but in the moment, in the moment, Lord, what are you trying to show me? That this suffering is designed by you, it must be good. This little booklet, by the way, was written by David uh, Pallison and John Piper, who both these men around the same time, they're buddies, and they both came out down with prostate cancer at the same time. And so they got together and wrote this little pamphlet. I forgot to tell you that. 
Okay, the second one I wanted to talk about is number seven. You waste your suffering if we spend too much time reading about our situation and not enough time reading about God. And you girls are classic because your generation is Pinterest and Facebook and Internet. And so when you have a question or problem, you, you research it. I mean, you're amazing. I mean, I've watched you guys. You research everything. A recipe is not just a recipe. You've got to find out the ingredients. You've got to find out if it's gluten-free. You've got to find out if it has this and that. I mean, you guys are amazing. You go to so much detail and looking up stuff. Um, beware. Because sometimes when you're suffering, you're so looking for that research and finding the answer and, and reading and, and trying to figure everything out. Um, that you don't go to the source, and that's very easy to do in a suffering situation. Um, the girls that say, I could sit here and tell you about every mentor mom because we we were like you guys. We grew up together. I could tell you their stories, and every one of them I know suffering in their lives. Uh, it just comes if you've been around very long. Um, but they are a source of wisdom that I think your generation doesn't really go after. So I love this approach. Because the internet and because blogs have so much information, when you're suffering, you kind of go inward and you look rather than go outward. So um, you will waste your suffering if you're reading so much about it. So I ask you, how much time do you spend on the internet with books or research on the problems of your life? Uh, most of you know the story of Job, or if you don't, you know his name is associated with suffering. And when Job, after he finished going through all the issues of his life, all the whys, all that kind of stuff, at the very end in Job 42.5, he says, I have only heard about you before, Lord, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And Job lived a Pollyanna life. And Job says that in one chapter, which I think might be why God got him, because he sounded like a guy with a lot of pride. You know, that people would look at me in the gates and they'd bow to me. And I was wonderful. I mean, I was wonderful. But, but he didn't know God. But through the suffering and everything, he said, I knew who you were, but now I know you. So it's much better to have that personal experience with him and go to him right away. Not that you shouldn't research. I mean, I did. And I went through an alternative treatment. And, and I, I studied. But ultimately... Um, I mean, we went to the pastor and said, look, we found this clinic in Arizona. I'm not sure. What do you think? And we got counsel on that with humans rather than I made all my decisions uh, through the Internet or whatever. Okay, number nine in those little pamphlets says, we will waste our suffering if we grieve as those who have no hope. So just take that thing and lock it in your head, that thing that's kind of your suffering thing right now as I'm talking. It's so easy for the enemy to come in and tell you, this is hopeless. There is no future. It will never change. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's so easy to get there. It's the biggest trap that the enemy has. I have no hope. This will never change. I'm going to die. Of course, if Jesus is your Savior, you have the fruit, the joy, the peace. Um, You have hope. Psalm 39, 7 says, where do I put my hope? Lord, my hope is in you. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So there's always hope. If you know Christ, your life is hope. Um, so get there quickly. 
Don't end up in a pit somewhere. Well, God will use that too. But better to not go there and to understand quickly that he is our hope. Heaven is our home. What can man do to us? All those wonderful scriptures that should come flooding out when there's a temptation to lose your hope. Okay. And then the last one, you waste your cancer or your suffering if you fail to use it as a means to witness the truth of the glory of Christ. So that's kind of what I'm doing today. Um, whatever suffering you're going through or will go through, um, it, it's wonderful at that time to walk with someone or people in it as a source of building up, not as a source of complaint. Don't get together with another girlfriend whose husband's a jerk, too, and, and want to just do the trash thing, okay? But it is a source of building up because she may have a horrible marriage as well or her husband's doing something, and, and you, it's a source of building up. How can we, let's go pray together. Let's, you know, let's not trash the men. Let's talk about how we can change, okay? What's God doing in my heart through this situation? You know, how can I love him? He's so unlovely. You know, all those kinds of things where we can be a source for sharing and building up. And that's why I've given you, everybody's going to get this little pamphlet at the end of the morning. Read through it, because, I mean, I've only given you um, a few of There's 11 points, and I've only just kind of touched on it. But it's very helpful to get your mind into a biblical place um, where God can really speak to you and show you the truth of, of his purpose for all the suffering in your life. Um, and so after you read it, take it home and read it, and then maybe pass it on, you know. Hold on to it until you know of a friend who either has cancer or is in a tough situation and, um, and give it to them. Um, and uh, Romans eight twenty eight is, of course, a little... It's almost sad that that scripture comes out to be so trite. But it's so true that God will work, cause everything in your life to work for good to those who love him, and I hope you love him, and those who are called according to his spirit and purpose. So um, I think that's all I have to say. It was quick. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for these ladies. Thank you for the ones who are here today with a Pollyanna life. Lord, they have an awesome husband and precious children and a great church home and a, and a nice home and all those kinds of things. Lord, may they in those moments, Lord, see you as supreme to walk with you, to love you in these moments, to work at being good uh, parents in the Lord and a wife in the Lord. Father, thank you. And thank you for the girls in here today who are suffering, whether it's with their children, their relatives, their spouse, their physical being, relationships with friends, Lord, um, any issues that any of these gals have today, Lord, I pray that if they've never said to you, Lord, be the center of my life, take it, make it what you want it to be because I can't handle it and you own me and love me and know best how my life's supposed to run. If no one in here has ever said that to you, Lord, I pray that even today they would turn their lives over to you, the author and perfecter of their faith and life. And Lord, you promise 
to only give good gifts to those who give their lives to you. So thank you, Lord. I pray that gals today would see any situation in their life right now as a gift from you, as a thing to cry out to you about for your glory. Lord, that they would seek you, knowing that you have hope, and that they'll walk together with other folks for the freedom that Christ has set us free for. Lord, bless this time of communication with one another around the tables. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.